0: Greetings, happy warriors, and thank you for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. You know that I think of you as happy warriors, men and women. Happy warriors because you've learned that happiness is a decision, it's not a reaction. I'm not happy because things are going well. I am happy, and very often that helps things to go well. And uh, we're warriors because we recognize the virtue in tackling life with both hands, grabbing it by the horns and being able to confront things and deal with things. There is a delight and a thrill. There's something essentially godlike. It brings us, in fact, closer to the boss when we involve ourselves in the struggles of improving our lives, not improving the world. Please do not fall into the trap of thinking that it is virtuous and moral and beautiful to throw yourself into improving the world. For that avenue leads to tyranny. You know why? Because when you're improving the world, you're improving it in the way you think it should be improved. And so you are trying to make the world into a place that is more a reflection of how you see it. That may be very different from how I see it, But since you are engaged in this moral endeavor of trying to improve the world, who am I to be allowed to stand in your way? And I need to be crushed as you move forward with your grand enterprise of improving the world. No, run like crazy. Run for fear of your life when you meet people who are busy on improving the world. It's dangerous, and it's 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 very very problematic. Um, one of the the prime functions of Sam Bankman-Fried is a gentleman who was recently arrested in uh, in the Bahamas in connection with a cryptocurrency platform that he created. Exactly what he did, the the courts will uh, and the investigations will uncover but uh, apparently billions and billions of dollars are missing and if you read about the the Wall Street Journal front page story on on a Friday a couple of weeks ago talking about Sam Bankman Fried and what's happening to his they they mourn the fact that all his philanthropic plans to improve the world may now no longer come to fruition and I say thank God they're not coming to fruition. I do not like people who try to improve the world. Um, My main concern is if people would refrain from damaging it, that would be enough, but of course that's far too much to anticipate. Uh, What should people be doing? People should be trying to improve their own lives. That's right. No, that's selfish. No, it's not selfish, because in the paradox of how we've been created, and the paradox of the world into which the good Lord has placed us. Because when each and every one of us takes care of our own families and our own finances and our own friendships and our own fitness and our own connection with God and with the spiritual reality, that works out best for everybody else. And to just make it clear, even on its most basic uh, financial level, um, when you are taking care of your financial needs you are helping other people because absolutely the only way other than pointing a gun at people the only way you can get people to give you their money is by giving them in exchange something they like more than your than their money and so you might sell them something or you might do them a service but whatever it is they consensually and voluntarily take what you're offering and give you money instead and so there you are Seeking out your own benefits, and yet you're improving lives for everybody else's. Adam Smith, who wrote his great book, The Wealth of Nations, in 1776, interestingly enough, he said, it's not through their benevolence that the baker and the brewer and the butcher provide me with dinner. No, they're doing it to take care of themselves. And yet the end result is that I have what I need as well. And so, uh, no, we're, uh, we're not struggling to improve the world. Please, let's not do that. Get that out of your mind and try to do everything, your pos- everything possible to discourage other people. Do not train your children that their mission is to improve the world. No, that's not how it works. What that does is open the path for tyrants because they're always busy improving the world. No, I don't need anybody improving the world. I love the world. It's beautiful. And I just hope that people won't do any unnecessary, no damage at all, actually. Now, as happy warriors, uh, it occurred to me you might like to be given a glimpse into my workshop. No, I don't mean to take you out to the garage and, uh, and see where I make things or fix things. No, I mean my spiritual workshop and uh, I thought you might uh, get some benefit, some improvement, some way of enhancing your life from uh, some of the things I want to show you. What I want to show you is how an innocuous verse in scripture becomes a gateway to deeper understanding in matters that will, yes, improve family and finance, relationships, uh, our connection with people in friendships and communities, uh, even our physical fitness, that's right. All of these things can easily flow from only one verse provided you know what you're looking at. And so, um, take a look if you would and um, if you don't yet have a good Bible, and my goodness, how why would anybody not have a copy of a good Bible? And it's always good to have a copy of the Hebrew Bible as well. And so uh, on our website, on rabbidaniellappin.com, you will find it very easy to get hold of Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible, and it's, it's this one right here. And I know you may well not read Hebrew, and that's fine, but you will derive great benefit from being able to see not only the English text, but also the Hebrew text. There really is value in that. And I explain all of that, but uh, at any rate, for now, uh, let us go to uh, page 83, shall we? Page 83, or for you, those of you who may be using a different Bible, uh, how about we go to chapter 28, and um, we're going to verse 10. All right, so here is the story we read in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. And uh, Jacob went away. He left Beersheba and he went to Haran. And uh, he arrived at this place. He stayed the night there because the sun had set. Okay, now it's odd, isn't it? I mean, really, every single time somebody goes to sleep, we mention the sunset. No. The point is here that the sun stays set in a certain spiritual sense. You know, until when? Until all the way into chapter 32. And in chapter 32, verse 20, let me see, verse uh, verse 32 and verse 31. Chapter 32, verse 31. And this is now at the end of uh, Jacob's Fourteen years of service to Lavan in order to marry Rachel and Leah. And uh, there it says in verse 31, uh, and the sun rose for him. This is the closing of the parenthesis that is opened by the sun setting for him. So here we got Joseph on his way to Laban's house at the start of what is going to be 14 years of servitude plus a longer time working and then finally departing on his own as an independent man with wealth and with a family and now the sun rises for him. So that's very much of an ancient Jewish wisdom insight um, to, to, to see that they are very often parentheses Um, Jacob starts off, young man, got nothing going for him, fleeing in terror from his brother. The sun goes down. And in a certain sense, he enters a dark period. And then he's going to be spending time with Laban, also all dark times. And then finally, he acquires his freedom. He gets out of there. And he's now an independent man with his own establishment. The sun rises. So that's, that's one thing to be aware of. Um, Another thing, he took from the stones of the place and he made a a sort of place for his head. Again, interesting, is it not? I mean, really? A bunch of leaves would work better than some stones for a pillow, but okay. Um, I'm not sure I've got time to go into that because we've got a lot of stuff to cover today in terms of what the real message of today's show is all about. Um, And then he dreams and he dreams of a ladder going up to uh, from earth to heaven and there are angels on the ladder moving going up and down now the order is very important angels i think live in heaven and so it should have said that there are angels coming down and angels going up but it doesn't say it says angels going up and angels coming down what's going on there well what are angels doing over here with jacob Here is a very important point, maybe one of the most important of today, and that is leaving aside for a moment what an angel is, and please, please do not fall into the trap of concretizing in your your mind's eye um, very complicated ideas. We should not do it in mathematics, we shouldn't do it in business, we shouldn't do it in Bible. Um, there are certain ideas that are abstract ideas and unfortunately because we've all be, been accustomed to television and screens that we're in, we're so accustomed to visualizing things and watching documentaries and movies and uh, video depictions of things instead of what used to be the case until the uh, probably the 19 late 1950s was when television really swept through the homes of Uh, of the Western world, primarily America, and then England, and then Europe, Um, but until then we were accustomed to using words which are an abstract depiction right there, so our cognitive processes were probably superior. Today we think in terms of visualizing almost everything, that changes it, so um, angels, think of it perhaps as a force, a force that helps you, a force that carries you forward, a force that helps you in overcoming adversity and resistance. And uh, why are these angels there? Here's a beautiful thing, really important to understand. We bring angels into existence for us by undertaking and committing ourselves to difficult and formidable adventure. So what was Jacob's formidable adventure? Leaving his home leaving his family and fleeing from what he believed to be the anger of his brother Esau. And all of that described in uh, chapter 28 verse 10. And, uh, and so the reason scripture tells us that the angels were going up and coming down instead of what you might have guessed to be the more natural going down from heaven and then back up, is because these angels that had been brought into existence by Jacob's courageous and, uh, and uh, determined act of building himself a new life away from the influence of his brother, that produced these forces called angels that helped him. And so he dreams of those angels going off-duty, as it were, and new angels coming down for their shift, and um, the 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 full depth of that meaning is hard to capture. But I'm sure everybody has at times felt that things are just going their way. That that somehow there are invisible forces that are moving them along and just helping them coast to where they need to be. Conversely, there are other times where you feel that there are hidden sinister forces obstructing your progress. It's almost as if you can do nothing right. Everywhere you turn, there appears to be a door shut or an opportunity blocked. Angels really do help. And um, acting with courage and being ready to do something that takes you way out of your comfort zone, doing something that you don't normally do, and uh, and isn't easy for you to do. That is one of the big steps to being able to break through into new, fresh, green pastures. So that's what happens with Jacob. But then it gets particularly interesting. Listen to what happens next. And um, uh, Jacob um, dreams of the ladder, and then he says. Uh, we're in verse um, 13. Um, where am I up to? In, uh, um, sorry, verse 14. And he dreams of he's receiving this blessing. Verse 15. Verse sixteen. I'm sorry. Mishnah uh, Verse sixteen. Jacob awakens from his sleep, and he says, "My goodness! It looks as if this is a place of of God. The God's in this place, and and I never knew it. Meaning, had I known it, do you think I'd have gone to sleep? And he was very. Um, he was filled with awe. And he said, how awesome is this place. Uh, This is the house of God. And this is the very gateway to heaven. And you now expect uh, Jacob to stay awake the rest of the night, communing with the Lord. But no, the odd thing is, That after waking up and saying, oh, I can't believe I went to sleep. This is a place of God. This is the gateway to heaven. What was I doing asleep?" You know, the very next thing he does, he goes back to sleep. Because verse 17, 18 says, and he awoke in the morning. So obviously he went back to sleep. How do you explain that? He first of all says, this is unbelievable. I had no idea this place was so special. I couldn't possibly have slept. And now he goes back to sleep. Ancient Jewish wisdom, you'll love the answer. The first time we went to sleep there, because the sun set, it's just a normal going to sleep. Biological needs of the body need sleep. He went to sleep. But now it was a deliberate going to sleep. And I'm going to use a phrase very specifically here. He went to sleep with God. What's going on here? And so... My friends, let me explain to you something of profound significance that is going to be extremely helpful to you in growing your family and your finances, your faith, your fitness, and your friendships. Watch. When you sleep with someone, what's really happening? I want you to overlook for the moment and ignore the erotic or the sexual overtones that are implied when we say somebody slept with somebody. Move that to the side temporarily and think about what it means when you sleep with somebody. You are making yourself the most vulnerable you can ever be. Think about it. When you're asleep, there's nothing to stop somebody else coming along and doing you a harm doing you a damage, cutting your neck, (laughs) I mean, to be specific, it's pretty bad. How can you possibly go to sleep with somebody? How can you make yourself so vulnerable? The answer is, it has to be somebody with whom you have a deep trust, and they for you. And so you'll find this, that um, even in military barracks, men who have slept alongside of one another for a period of time. That's part of the relationship that builds men and women in in dormitories, whether it's uh, at college or school, wherever it is, when you sleep together with somebody without any erotic overtones, merely the fact of going to sleep with somebody else in the same room, that is hugely profound. You are basically saying, I trust you at the moment of my ultimate vulnerability, because I'm asleep, I don't know what you're doing and we're willing to do that. Not surprisingly, that then becomes very, very important. And so the intimacy in marriage is not why we sleep together, it's almost the other way around. That the act of sleeping together is precisely what produces the intimacy and the trust of marriage. It's quite a big thing. And making oneself vulnerable, essentially you're saying, you know, I depend on you not to hurt me while I'm asleep. That's right. It's exactly what we are saying. Now uh, we're all trained from childhood to seek independence, whether we are boys or girls. Our parents are eager to instill in us a growing sense of independence and their hope is that by the time we reach young adulthood we're actually able to be young adults and stand on our own feet. And so this drumbeat of independence is something we hear again and again and again and young women in their teens start hearing it on an even more powerful level. They hear Don't ever let yourself be dependent on a man. You don't need a man. You don't need to tie your happiness and your sense of security to a man. You must be independent. And so we are all raised to believe that the idea of dependency is a terrible thing. You'll pardon me uh, being a bit vulgar here, but uh, I I need to report something accurately. Uh, There is a phrase for having enough money that you don't have to care about anybody else there are even books about it, there are magazine articles about it and um, it's said, you know, people will say I'm going to work until I've got my F.U. money and it's a vulgarity it implies that I want enough money so that I don't have to care about another single human being I can do what I like with disregard for what anybody else thinks or says that's right, F you money. You can hear from the vulgarity of the phrase and the dismissive quality of the attitude towards other people that this cannot be a good thing. It certainly feels very satisfying on, a, on one level. Oh, I don't need anybody in exactly the same way as I'm sure that there is a, a burst of, of enthusiastic self-congratulatory emotion when a girl says, I don't need any man. I don't need a man, I can make a living, I can take care of myself, I don't need a man. Apropos of that, I just want to tell you something. Uh, Ukrainian women also thought they didn't need men till Russian soldiers invaded. And um, in the uh, closing days, as the Russian army closed in on uh, Berlin, up till that point Berlin women were very enlightened And very liberated and very much not needing men but um, the ones that uh, had men did a whole lot better than those that didn't. Uh, When the chips are down and things get rough women do need a man there is no question about it. Um, When things are running smoothly and modern liberalism is, is functioning well and the police are taking crime into under control. Everything is working smoothly. Civilization looks successful. You're right, it does look as if women don't need men. But that hasn't been the case for most of human history and there's no guarantee that it is the case at any given time. So, I just want to put that in as a proviso. Uh, now, men need women as well. Do men depend on women? Sure, absolutely. Independence, entire independence is, is not a good thing. So much so that Scripture made sure that ancient Israel for one year every seven years was not allowed to plant. They had to literally just depend on God. And this idea of, of um, feeling a sense of dependence upon God it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. And having relationships with other people that have you feeling dependent upon them, it's good, not bad. And what are the reasons that the economic system, as we've spoken about before, uh, rewards specialization? Right? When you specialize in an area, you do much better than if you don't. If you uh, show up for a job interview, And somebody says, well, tell me a little bit about what you've done. You say, I've done a little bit of everything. I'm a jack of all trades. You probably don't get the job because things work better when everybody specializes on achieving a highly developed and polished and refined way of serving their fellow human beings. But here's the thing. The more specialization that goes on in the world, the more we are interdependent because if I am going to be a, a domestic plumber, I don't do factories, I don't do the plumbing for uh, office buildings. I only do the plumbing for homes. I'm dependent on other people to take care of all my other needs because it takes me all my time and effort to be proficient and diligent at what I do. And so I need somebody to repair my house, I need gardening, I need dental work, whatever it is I need, I'm interdependent with everybody else. The only person who's independent is the subsistence peasant, you know, who grows a little bit of wheat, and he's got one cow and he's got a couple of chickens. And Now, he's not living very well, I'll tell you that. The more dependent you're willing to make yourself, the better you live. It's a very, very important point. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that one should try and be destitute, and you have to depend on people for your daily bread. Obviously, I'm not talking about that but I'm talking about uh, authentic and meaningful relationships with other people where your vulnerability is genuine. And that's a key part of relationships, being willing to expose yourself, even though there is a vulnerability. You're not all big and you're not all powerful. And even between a man and his wife, a man exposes a certain vulnerability in certain areas and his wife likes to see it and obviously in the other direction as well Uh, in business relationships in social and friendship relationships i just want you to rethink this question of dependence because as i said we've all been so indoctrinated to believe we've got to be independent we mustn't need anybody else so much so that for most of us it's kind of hard to even ask for help, it's hard to ask for a favor. Dependence makes it a lot easier and having those relationships where you allow someone else to do you a favor and you seek out opportunities to do other people favors, these are the ways that a society is is created, how a society is sustained and nurtured. And so the reason I speak about friends and family is because that inner that that core entity of you, if you don't have family around you, then the next circle of acquaintances is community, friends. But if there's you and the next circle around you is actually fr- family, then friends and society and community come outside of that you see how much bigger a circle it is? That's quite right, because when you've got a family, your surface area, your envelope expands, and a, and a man who has a wife and children ends up with a much bigger social circle than a single man alone for these reasons, and that society is necessary for the functions that, uh, the, that a group of people need whether it's roads and sewers or art galleries and museums, uh, those are built by a society. They're not built by one or two people and those societies function best when they when they are um, made up of family units inside of them. And those family units are made up of people who are willing to be vulnerable with one another, sleeping together as it were, and then a society built of that, friendships built out of that, social networks built out of that. You're talking about strong, creative, and vibrant social networks. So uh, if, uh, if, to, if today's Rabbi Daniel Lippens show was about anything, um, it was really about rethinking this thing. You don't have to focus on being independent of everybody all the time some measure of dependence either on him or also on those around us in our friends and in our families. That dependence can go a long way. So, uh, my friends and all you happy warriors out there who are happy and warriors, um, it's time to bring today's show to an end. Love to hear from you as always. You know how to do that, right? You You can go to the website Uh, make sure you are a happy warrior and uh, that way we're able to connect and communicate and uh, and cooperate and collaborate all of the things that come about when human beings have authentic relationships with one another thanks a lot happy to be together with you Um, until next week I want you to have a week of passionate and profound growth in your families and in your friendships, in your finances and your fitness, as well as in your faith. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.